And so welcome, church family, to this series, Crazy Like Us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's get, ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that we'd be able to see your beauty. For I believe if we see your goodness and beauty, you will transform us. Um, bless the preaching of the word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Dear friends, I want to start out with a question, and the question is this. How do you maintain hope when the situation looks hopeless? Now, I know this is a heavy topic, and so I wanted to start things off with something light. And in Chicago, we know a thing or two about hopelessness, especially when it comes to sports teams. In fact, there's this one franchise that for a century was dedicated to hopelessness, the lovable losers, right? The Chicago Cubs, they're not hopeless anymore. They've passed that baton onto the Bulls, anyway. In the Chicago area, we know this feeling when it comes to the weather. When will spring come? Will spring come is a better question because last year, if it happens like it does last year, we go straight from winter to summer, right? So it snowed again today. I don't know if snow will happen again. It probably will. I don't know. Um, we might feel hopeless when it comes to our state and certain things going on. Um, maybe you heard about the bridge in Joliet, that it's ranked 6 out of 100 and could collapse any day. There's a big sign that says, warning, don't drive here. <laughs> and yet we continue to drive because we're hopeless on the state of things in Illinois. I've seen this meme a time or two, right? <laughs> That's the roads. So yes, in Chicago, we know a thing or two about what it is to be hopeless with weather and streets and sports teams, but uh, can I take things a little bit more serious now? You know, this past week, I was called to an uh, area by the Children's Hospital downtown to meet young Mason, and Mason was in a rehabilitation center. It was only five months ago that Mason, a second grader, was completely healthy, no, no bad circumstances to speak of. And uh, about five months ago, he first contracted ammonia. And while at Children's Hospital, uh, they found MRSA. And after MRSA, he ran code and they found he wasn't getting enough oxygen to his brain. And you might consider what that does. So I was meeting with a mom who five months ago had a healthy baby and now has no idea what the future looks like for Mason. She knows God. She knows God is with her and is, is, is good. And, and we talked about Job and we talked about the promises of God. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future to prosper you. And yet the questions still remain, how do we maintain hope when it seems hopeless? And it's something maybe you have confronted at one time. Maybe for you it, it was a relationship and, and, and maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a child. And how do you maintain hope when it looks so bleak? It could be a job. Maybe you had a job during the Great Recession. You saw everything go down. Maybe it's a boss, and you're like, how, how do I do this? It just feels like the sky is falling every day. Maybe for you is a health circumstance, and you know 100% isn't possible anymore, and you're just wondering, how do I maintain hope when I just don't feel good? It's something we all wrestle with, isn't it? And it's something David wrestled with. So I want to tell you the story of King David, and you've probably heard of him before. He was a man after God's own heart, the guy who beat Goliath, right? You know, David. And David knows hopeless circumstances. In fact, let me give you a few of his family details. He, he got married to his first wife, and his father-in-law wanted to kill him. And you thought your in-laws were bad. His father-in-law wanted to kill him, so he had to run away from home, and he gave his daughter to another man, and he came back, and he didn't have a wife anymore. 
That must be heart-wrenching. Not only that, but then David made a dumb decision. He decided to take many wives. And because of that, the sons of some wives didn't like the sons of other wives, and there was great turmoil, and that's putting it lightly. It culminated one son named Absalom killed another one of David's sons named Amnon for an unspeakable thing that I don't want to tell you that Amnon did. And where we find God's word today, I want to give you just a picture of the, the circumstance David is in. His son Absalom has just thrown a coup. Um, he has convinced the army, he has convinced David's leaders to kick David out of his kingdom, out of the palace, and he's threatening to kill his father because he wants the kingdom. So David knows a little bit about hopeless situations, doesn't he? And yet we're going to consider where David's hope lies. And what's really interesting is, as we consider God's word, he, he doesn't talk about how he's going to be strong through it, and he doesn't talk about how the circumstance is going to get better. Rather, the first takeaway, if you're taking notes, is this, that the way he maintained hope and the way we maintain hope is that when our hope is in the Lord, see, not our circumstances, because they are good, bad, and otherwise, not our feelings, because they lie to us. In fact, I was reading from Martin Luther, and he was telling us about this golden art. He said during the midst of, of suffering, the golden art to hold on to God's word and promise and to decide according to it and not according to the feelings of our heart. Maintaining hope in the Lord. And if you were to talk to David and say, really you're having hope in the Lord while your son is throwing a coup, you might call that crazy. A better word might have been, you know, it's okay not to be okay. But David's like, no, I got hope. And we're like, that's crazy. Crazy is what God calls us to. And so today we're going to consider how can we have that same crazy, bold hope no matter the circumstance. And i got to tell you that to preach today I'm a little bit terrified. I'm not usually as terrified, uh, but let me explain why. Because before us today we have the most beautiful, the most artistic, the most beloved, the most well-known portion of Scripture in all of the Bible, and I am afraid to totally mess it up. I know God is good. I'm just not sure that my part is always that good. So we consider Psalm 23, and, and these are words that we just get to dwell deeply in, that we just get to pick apart today, that we let these words wash over us, remembering this is all about what the Lord does, not about who we are or what the circumstance is on this snowy St. Patrick's Day. So let's turn to Psalm 23. And um, I thought we'd do something new. If you're comfortable, do you want to read this with me, just to help it wash over you? So for anyone who's comfortable, we can read this together. Here we go. We're going to read the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are good words. These are powerful words. Some of you have used them for a wedding. Some of you have used them at a funeral I still remember when I was in high school, there was a classmate who died because he was hit by a truck. And while our choir sang about welcoming home, I said these words to a grieving father and mother. 
on behalf of the choir. These are powerful words. And we get to dwell deep. Could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, He will restore your soul. He will restore your soul. All right, pastor, don't screw it up. Here we go. You know, there are a lot of uh, good mascots out there. There are. Uh, In fact, in Chicago, I I do like this mascot, Bear Down, right? I think just wearing that logo, it it looks fierce. Good color spectrum, right? They're, They're really good colors, good mascot. There are other mascots that, to, to be honest, are questionable. Uh, the White Sox, which, uh, again, as the story goes, I'm not trying to pick on the White Sox. Welcome, White Sox fans. But, I, I mean, they were named after the Chicago uh, Cubs. One of their uh, Cubs uh, uh, nicknames was the White Stockings. And so Mr. Kamitsky freshened up saying White Sox, okay. Um, and, and in the Lincoln Way area, there's some good mascots. There's uh, the, the Warriors and the Knights and the Griffins, and there used to be the Phoenix and... Uh, I know we have Illinois Lutheran fans, they have the Chargers, all of these are are really tough and those are good mascots. A little bit about my life, we go to a wonderful school with probably the worst mascot. I'm just going to be honest. Wonderful school, worst mascot. Because our mascot is not an intimidating bear, rather our mascot is a sheep. And there's nothing that strikes fear into the heart of your opponent than saying we are a bunch of sheep coming at you. Bah, right? In fact, in our school, it's a little bit worse than just sheep. We're called the omnoi, which is Greek for sheep. So not only is it not intimidating, but it's also confusing. So we, that's just us. The reason I bring this up is because if you know anything about sheep, sheep are dumb. Sheep are witless. No one has ever run away from a pack of rabid sheep, right? In fact, uh, something you, know, you should know about sheep is that if you lead them into a pasture, they will eat the grass so much far down that they will take away their own food supply, wrecking that pasture, and not have any more food. That's dumb sheep. In fact, I was doing some research about a modern-day shepherd who summed it up and said, sheep are just a lot of work. They're so dumb that they often put themselves in danger, and so a shepherd has to guide them. In fact, he remembers one time he was trying to lead them into these green pastures and he was holding a bucket of grain for the steer. And instead of going to the green pastures, that sheep, all of them came directly at him for the grain that they couldn't have. But that sheep, I shouldn't go there? Bah, let's go there. Right? Shouldn't do that? Bah, let's do that. And so sheep is not intimidating or fierce, but you know, it's completely accurate when it comes to the spiritual nature of you and I. Now, I'm not trying to pick on you, uh, but we do believe in a sinful nature. And what does a sinful nature do? The sinful nature says, well, God says don't go there. <laughs> right? And so we're like sheep. In fact, Paul, even as a Christian, he wrote about his experience as a sheep, and he put it this way about the sinful nature. In Romans, he said, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law did not say you shall not covet, but I have sinned. And sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. God told me where to go or not to go, and that's where I wanted to go. Bah! Right? So we're sheep. And honestly, our our sin makes us look pretty stupid. Sin is illogical. And honestly, it uh, deserves punishment, not blessing, uh, which we see that the wages of sin is death, and and that's a sure thing. 
But David gives us good news. And it's not based on, again, who he is. And it's not based upon a circumstance that's going to change. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's, here's really, you know, where he starts. He says, the good news is just this, that though I'm a sheep, I have a shepherd. Oh, that's not the sheep that's off him, but this shepherd, <laughs> he's a bad mamma jamma. He knows how to protect his sheep. In fact, if bears come, if lions come, if someone wants to attack the sheep, no, it's his job. And he does his job, not because of anything the sheep are going to do for him, but he's just signed up. He's, he's, he's positioned to take care of sheep. That's just what he does. So that's our God. We have crazy hope because we have a shepherd. And so one of the things we find with this shepherd, one of the things we explore is that we lack nothing. That's what David said. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I want to quibble with that a little bit because I could give you my, my list, right? Lack nothing. I got, you want my credit card statement, pastor? Right? I got my list of things that, that I, I feel that I lack. But can I recenter you spiritually? Because Jesus taught a little bit about this. In fact, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, God told us exactly what we need. And he, he told us to pray for daily bread. And he's really good at needs, isn't he? If you don't have enough food, come talk to us. We'll get you some food. In fact, I, I had experience working for food pantries in the area. And uh, our, our needs are met so well that even the needy are particular. I remember working in the food pantry, and they're like, uh, please don't give me any more canned vegetables. We have all we want. Do you have any, you know, this, that, or the other? Needs are met so well that we have the luxury of being particular. And so I, I want to tell you today, maybe you're feeling hopeless, and it has something to do with finances, and you're not sure how it's all, all going to work out. But here's the reality. Your shepherd, whose job it is to feed his sheep, will take care of you. Amen. Period. Done. And that's what David knew. And consider how David knew this. David was away from his palace. David was kicked out of his home. David doesn't know how the future is going to go. And yet he still says, you know what? Got all I need. Lack nothing. Shepherd's with me. That's what Paul said in prison. In prison, a Christian named Paul, he penned these words. He said, and my God, the shepherd, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So have crazy hope. Your needs will be continually met regardless, period, and amen. It's a good word. You know, our shepherd does more. You know, and to talk about this, um, I recognize that there are whole industries created for helping us cope with the stresses of life. You know what I'm talking about? Whole industries created to help us be restored and refreshed. In fact, I uh, have a neighborhood buddy. His name is John. I've nicknamed him John Awesome because I really like him. And uh, he went to this place downtown Chicago that were the ancient baths called RA or something. Um, and, and you can go to this place where there are thermal baths and there are ice baths. Some know. Uh, there are saltwater baths. They have an experience where you can bathe in wine, then get a massage, and then go ha to have more baths. Sounds kind of fun, antioxidants, I guess. I don't know. But whole industries are, again, created on trying to restore and refresh us. And, and I wonder, what, what is your favorite? Maybe not these ancient baths. Anyone maybe who prefers the manicure and the pedicure? Yes. Anyone who maybe uh, likes sports and March Madness, I'm just ready to veg, and there we go. 
Netflix or Fortnite, right? This is how I get built up. But you know what I've experienced, and maybe you have as well? I can be completely relaxed, but not spiritually restored. I can be completely recharged from an energy standpoint, have slept a ton, and still be crazy wound up in a, an unhealthy spiritual way. Well, what I've found is that this restoration that I truly need doesn't happen at a bath or a mani-pedi, um, doesn't happen except with the Lord. And so when David leads us to consider our shepherd, he says, you know what the shepherd does? Our shepherd, he restores us. And I was reading the Hebrew, and the Hebrew has this idea that really he's returning life back into us so that I can breathe again. He says, breathe again. Only I can do this for you. You can breathe again. You have life again. And how does he do this? Well, our God has ancient baths. See, our God has the bath of baptism which Titus says is a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, the grace of God poured out on our lives, that we remember we started in grace and we will finish in grace. This bath that reminds us, I am a child of God, so I breathe again. Our God has the bath of absolution. We come and confess our sins, and then we hear, though your sins were as scarlet, I will wash them as white as snow. And when I hear I'm at peace with the Holy God, I, I can breathe again. And these quiet waters, these green pastures that the shepherd leads us to, it's about worshiping the Lord. It's about seeing Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That as he died our death and lived perfectly in our place, we are washed clean and called his children now and forever. And you can worship at this place. This place is really green. This place you should come every week. It's always good in this place. But you can worship in the green pastures of a hospital bed. You can worship in the green pastures at school. You can worship even at work when you remember what God has done for you and these cleansing baths that are for you. It's only God restores us. In fact, I hope it happens again today so we can have crazy hope. But the shepherd's not done with us. You know, I uh, consider Six Flags Great America and uh, going there as a child. Any fans of Six Flags? A few. I can't do the roller coasters anymore. Oh, too old, too old. Um, but what I still like are those cars. And even as a child, you remember when they let you on the cars? Because you couldn't drive any car, but you could drive the cars at Six Flags, right? Minimal height requirement. You could press go, and you'd stop by the bumper. You could even steer the wheel. But they were clever. Uh, because though they let you in the car, and though they let little people drive it, that, that thing, it's on a track. So though a kid, you know, with shenanigans might do this, it's going to get jolted back, Right? They're not going to let you go off course too much. Now, you can still bump the people in front of you, but they're going to jolt you back, right? Been on these cars. The reason I bring this up is because to those the shepherd loves, he puts their life on rails, on a track. And for those the shepherd loves, he says, yeah, I knew you were trying to do this, you know, sheep, bog, go the wrong direction, but I got to jolt you back a little bit. I got to wake you up a little bit. In fact, what our shepherd does is our shepherd guides us, and, and one of the, the best things he can sometimes do for you is he lets your junk catch up to you. He lets you dwell in the consequences of your sin, so you're like, yeah, 
Wrong path. Right? I don't know when you've had this experience, but it's true because this is what he's up to. He's trying to convince us that he actually wants good for us. So the consequences he lets happen. He's trying to convince us that when he talks about having a good life, a blessed life, when he talks about his plans for our money or our family or sexuality, when he talks about this, he's trying to wake us up to the fact that he has good for us and for his name's sake. In fact, he acts like a father. And the book of Hebrews reminds us that this father sometimes disciplines his children. And it's good that we get discipline. In Hebrews it says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you and jolts you back. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And so sometimes we feel hopeless. And if we were honest, it's because of a situation of our own making. But you know why you can have hope even in the midst of that? Because he jolted you back. He showed you that truly he wants your good. He's got good intent for you. So trust him once again. This is our God. But we continue, and we're almost halfway, and if I go this way for the rest of it, we'll be here till 2 p.m., but you guys are up for it, I know. But I want to teach a little bit on Hebrew poetry, and what, what's interesting about Hebrew poetry, that if you want to emphasize something, you always put it in the middle. In fact, if you read the book of Job, do you know the very middle of it is, I know that my Redeemer lives, because that's the emphasis. And when you consider the theme of this whole psalm, that theme is found in the middle. It's right here, that I will fear no evil. Why? You're with me. And so we got to talk a little bit about the comfort of the presence of God, that our shepherd is with us. And you think again of the circumstance David was in. David was experiencing tremendous loss. He didn't have his family, he didn't have his palace, he didn't have his kingship. Almost everything was stripped away from David at this time. But he says, you know what, I'm not going to feel all that bad. You know why? God's with me. I think of how much we need to consider that when standing by the graveside of those that we love. Yes, it feels hard saying goodbye to those that we love. But there's someone who said, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And he is with us. And because of that, we can deal with not only the valley, but we can deal with the darkest valley, right? In fact, when it comes to understanding the valley, some Bible commentators think that our whole life is in the valley. Heads up. Even in, in a country where we pursue happiness, our whole life, that woven through it, it is a ground note of sadness, one Bible commentator said. And I tend to agree with it. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but even Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. And so sometimes that valley, it's just the snow outside and the fact that my kids have the flu. It's a valley day. And then other times, there's the darkest valley. Other times, I am dealing with death or divorce or depression and debt. Anything else that starts with a D. But God says, you might be in that darkest valley. Have no fear. I am with you. And guess what? I got a club. That's the Hebrew word for rod. I got a club, and I know how to use it. And so I club away those feelings of guilt, reminding you of peace. I club away your enemies, telling the devil, no, not today, letting the world not get us astray, uh, conquering our sinful nature as he gives us power from the Spirit. He clubs it away. In fact, this, this God, he uses his club so much, the only thing he lets through are the things he's going to use in the end to help us as he turns even the bad things for our good. 
shepherds with you, the club and the staff. So you can even bring on the enemies. You know, talking about enemies, I consider a little bit of church history. And I consider what happened in Rome. Rome was a hotbed of persecution. The place where there were a ton of Christian martyrs. In fact, they say that Paul lost his life in Rome at the hands of Nero. And and much of it happened in the Colosseum. But if you go to the Colosseum today, you find something amazing. This place that was the hotbed of persecution has become the prominent place of proclamation of the gospel. Do you know there is a cross in the Colosseum? That speaks of our God. That speaks of his ability to place his people securely, even in the realm of enemies around. I consider the same thing that's happening in China, where their Christianity is not acceptable, is something that the state's trying to to, to do away with, and yet there are Christians coming out, filing in the ranks, over 31 million. So what does God do? He places us securely before our enemies, Dear Christian, if you're following the Christian faith in America, it might not be getting easier. There's sometimes a culture clash against the things of God, and yet you're secure in the Lord. He is with you. In fact, because of him, we can even say that our cup overflows. I was reading from Jeremiah, and when the people of God went to exile in Babylon, it's interesting that even in captivity, he knew how to provide for them. You might have read the book of Daniel where he again was an advisor to the king or uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, baby names for you. Um, you, you might have read Esther um, and, and seeing what she did for the, the, the Jews at that time. And even in captivity, God knew how to have a cup that was filled for his people. The same is true for you and I. In fact, to approach this, I, I wanted to ask, what is your favorite thing and the thing that is more than you need that God gave you? Because I have a hunch that you have something. See, I'm a big believer in grace and seasons of grace. And not every season is perfect, but every season has evidence of a cup that is filled. It's good to remember that. It's good to remember that God has treated me better than I deserve. In fact, as I look at my life in so many different realms, I just say more than I deserve, more than I deserve, more than I deserve. I could make a list for you. What's yours? But I guess we got to end. And David knows how to end it. That last verse, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can't wait to be in that place. In fact, that's why I'm a pastor because I want to be in that place with you party animals and we're going to party forever with Jesus and it's going to be awesome. And he said it's a feast. And he said we won't cry there. And he said there's no pain there. And he said that there are streets of gold, just imagery of just greatness. Oh, I can't wait to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just want to remind you that eternity will overwhelm our earthly experience. We don't pause to think that dichotomy of how much longer we will be there than here. But in the meantime, he says, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. You know, I consider what Chicagoans do for St. Patrick's Day. Chicagoans are kind of crazy, and um, in their crazy activity, I'm not talking about how much corned beef hash they eat. Um, I'm talking about what they do to the river, right? And uh, some of you I know have gone to see what they did to the river, and uh, a little bit about it, um, uh, here it is. They send boats out uh, with the dye, 
And eventually, because of the boats, turns this, right? And God says, guess what you are? You're the Chicago River. Guess what I am? I'm boats would die. And guess what you will be? You won't be green, but you will be filled with my goodness. See, this is what God does. And you might wonder even, why did I come today? I'm here to tell you it's less about an invitation, more that God has been pursuing you with his crazy goodness so that you'd wake up to the reality that Jesus is Lord and he's the most beautiful thing you could ever gaze at. And so that he could give you crazy hope. That even if your situation right now seems hopeless because the Lord is with you, you don't have to be afraid. And so may you wake up to that reality once again. May we be filled with this crazy hope. May you breathe again. God is with you. May you breathe again. He calls you your child. May you breathe again. He has not forsaken us. Amen. Please stand. And the